Hello everyone, Charles Watts here. Welcome to another edition of Inside Arsenal. It's a special bonus edition for you today, the second episode of the day, because I wanted to chat about where we are kind of now in terms of Arsenal as the season. Perfect time to do it, of course, slap bang in the middle of the final international break of 2023. And I wanted to get a good friend of mine, a good friend of the channel, back on the show to help me talk about it, because he's wrote a really good piece in the Daily Telegraph over the last sort of 48 hours or so. Uh, it's just perfect timing, really, to sit down, discuss that piece, look at all the really interesting stats in the middle of it, which kind of shows where Arsenal are in terms of the season so far. So without no further ado, let's bring him on and welcome into the show, shall we? Sam Dean of the Daily Telegraph. How are you doing, my friend? Yeah, good, thanks. Great to be back. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Big congratulations to Mr. Dean as well. Happily married man now, coming up to two weeks as uh, all hitched up with his missus and it all went very, very well, didn't it, Sam? So congratulations. Yeah, thank you, mate. Thank you. Uh, coming back to work after two weeks off of post-marital bliss uh, into an international break has had uh, its challenges, but, you know, hopefully next weekend when the Premier League comes back, it'll all be back to normal quite nicely. And did you did come back to a win at the weekend? Though? You were you were in the press box for the Arsenal game on a, uh, at the weekend, weren't you? That was your first game back? Yeah, first game back was Burnley. Uh, so you get back in the flow of things and then straight away go into internationals and everything just slows down a little bit. But that's fine. I feel like everyone feels the same these days about international breaks, that you get a bit of momentum going and you feel like things are really starting to happen. And then it just takes this huge pause and everyone takes a deep breath and it can be quite frustrating. Yeah, this one especially, I think the third one, it's just like you sort of get the first two out of the way and then it's just all of a sudden you've got the third one again. Come on, let's just get in this run up to Christmas now. And um, it's, it's, they've all come at a good time for Arsenal, though. And Arsenal have won every game going into an international break this season, which is good because at least you go into it, uh, they, you know, with a bit of momentum. You don't go into it on the back of a bad result, which is important. The Burnley game was not, it wasn't thrill a minute by any means, but it was an important win. And a kind of a game, I think, that almost summed up Arsenal's season so far in terms of where they are and how they're shaping up. And, um, you did a really good piece, Sam, just to uh, give you some give you some flowers on this um, <laughs> that went out yesterday on the Telegraph. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it on the screen here, the tweet. You can find the link to the story in the description below. I also retweeted it yesterday. Sam's obviously put it out on his social media. So go and find it if you haven't yesterday, um, because it's a really, really good piece and really detailed um, and, you know, really sort of analyses Arsenal's start to the season, where they've been good, where they perhaps have been bad, room for improvement. And I thought it was a really interesting piece, Sam, and it, it kind of it said an awful lot about the season so far. And I thought it was just a perfect time to get you on and talk about that and the pair of us just sort of chat about Arsenal. And I mean, even here in your tweet, but less chaos, more control. I think those just four words very much sort of perfectly encapsulate the start Arsenal have made to this season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people have been talking about this and noticing it from quite early on this season that it's not quite clicking in the same way up front that it did for much of last season. But I wanted to wait a bit and 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 get the evidence, you know. And I think 12 league games is enough now to really start drawing some firm conclusions. And, and what we can see from a big sort of uh, look into the numbers and I should say a big thanks to the guys at Opta for their help and, and, and sharing a lot of their data with me. Um, what we can see is basically that Arsenal's attack is not at the level that it was last year in terms of creativity, in terms of scoring goals, ripping teams apart the way they were last year. But on the flip side, their defence is now 
infinitely better almost. It's the best defence in the league based on, on XG conceded and they conceded the joint fewest in the league along with Liverpool in terms of actual goals. And also the other thing that was very relevant this weekend against Burnley was was Arsenal's set pieces. Um, and they are now basically the best in the league. They scored the most goals from set pieces in the Premier League and only Everton, I think, let me check my own stats here, only Everton have scored a high percentage of their goals from set pieces. So what, one thing that Arteta has said this season is, yes, the open play sort of XG might be down when it, when it was put to him, um, but you can't take away set pieces from that because set pieces are an important part of the game. Mm. And the fact that the open play XG is down, but the set pieces are up, is probably a good sign for Arsenal. Well, it's definitely a good sign for Arsenal because they're playing against different sorts of defences now. This time last year, I don't think teams feared Arsenal in quite the same way as they do now. And that means that teams are playing deeper, they're with deeper blocks, they're packing the defence, they're packing the penalty area more. And the consequence of that is more set pieces. So you have to factor set pieces into all these conversations. And the fact that Arsenal are scoring lots of goals from those positions, including two against Burnley this weekend, I think will be seen as a major positive. I think the, uh, in the stats that you use, the open play XG is sort of 12.32, and that puts Arsenal 12th in the Premier League um, for that. I mean, there's obviously quite a few contributing factors, you would think, but I mean, a fairly big one, I would say, is that we just haven't seen the front line all season. I think they've played together twice so far, maybe started started a game twice so far in terms of Jesus, Saka and Martinelli. And you talk about chaos, obviously. And the man that, you know, Mikel Arteta admits himself brings the chaos in terms of Gabriel Jesus. Just He's just not been involved. He's barely been involved. And when he has played, I think he's only started two games as an actual striker for Arsenal this season. You know, the other games he started, he started out on the wing. Done very well. But, he had, you know, I think that's got to be... When everyone talks about the fact that Arsenal are not as good going forward as they were last season, they're not creating as much as they were last season, they're not much of a threat, I think you've got to put a large part of that down, I would say, to to that. I think you sort of look at the games that Gabriel Jesus started up front. You think of the PSV game, for example, in the Champions League at, at the Emirates, when Arsenal would probably be Arsenal's best attacking performance of the season. Again, the three of them weren't together because Trossard started that game. There was no Martinelli. But, you know, Jesus was electric that day. He was so, so good. And he thinks severe away as well in the Champions League. The, the assist for Martinelli, the goal that he scored himself in the second half before he picked up the injury. Now, that's it's a big thing that Arsenal are missing, not having Gabriel Jesus there. Yeah, yeah. And this this all ties into, I think, the big question around this whole season. How much of this evolution of the team and these attacking issues and defensive improvements, how much of that is by design? And, and how much of it is just a consequence of things like injuries and the opposition, things that are outside of Arteta's control. And for me, I personally agree with you that I think the absence of Jesus is the single most relevant factor in terms of Arsenal's attacking drop-off. Arteta has said himself that he he changed their world last year. Mm. And we all saw that when he came in and the way he unlocks Martinelli and the way that helps to create such base for Saka is a huge, huge part of the team. And Jesus is the man they built that attack around. That's why they spent all that money on him and gave him such a big contract. So to have him missing for so long, and then even when he has been available, to then have one of the other two missing has been a major, major issue for the for the front line. So yes, for me, when he comes back, the fun might come back as well. The excitement levels that we saw last year, with the caveat that teams are playing differently against Arsenal now. The, 
the defences are sitting deeper and there is less space. But I think if any player creates space and creates openings and causes that chaos that you mentioned, it's it's Jesus. Yeah, he absolutely does. You think of the partnership he's got, especially with Martinelli, the pair of them link up so, so well. Again, we saw that in Sevilla for Martinelli's goal. They've got a really good understanding. And I think Jesus comes back. So I think you see more of a threat from Martinelli in games. You know, not, I'm not saying Martinelli hasn't been a threat when he's played. He has. He's played very well at times this season. But I still think just with Jesus alongside him, it just takes him, raises his game up to another level. I think the, the absence of Thomas Partey is really crucial as well in many ways. I think that's having a bit of an impact on Martin Odegaard. You know, I think Odegaard's dropping a lot deeper now to receive the ball because when I, when Partey started in that role, we all know his ability to sort of progress the ball forward. That I'm not sure, as, as brilliant as Declan Rice has been, and we're going to talk about Declan Rice in this show, I'm sure, you know, he, he doesn't quite have that ability that Thomas Partey has to do that and find find Odegaard in a little bit of space so they can turn in space and, and move forward. You know, I'm seeing Martin drop a lot deeper to get on the ball at times, and I think that's having a bit of an impact. So I think there's a lot of things going on with Arsenal season right now that is maybe stopping them being that thrilling side that we saw last year. But also, and you touched on this in the piece, that, you know, does Mikel actually want them to be that thrilling side that we saw last year? Is this a big part of the evolution of Arsenal that we saw in the summer with some signings that was made that as fun as it was last year, and it was a lot of fun, we saw it and what it meant to everyone in the stadium watching those games. Would Mikel Arteta have found it that much fun, especially come the end of the season when he ended up empty-handed? Yeah, I mean, that's the question. Was it too fun? Mm. Was it too exciting? Um, that's not how Man City win titles. No. Man City win it with maturity and control. And that's the direction Arsenal have moved in. I got. I, I looked at the stats for the last uh, 20 years of Premier League winners. And over that time, so this is since the Invincibles, and starting at the Invincibles, sorry. In that time, the league winning side has scored an average of 85 goals in their season. Last year, Arsenal scored 88. Mm-hmm. So by that measure, last year, Arsenal had an attack that was worthy of winning the league. They had, they had a title-winning attack. On the flip side, in the last 20 years, the Premier League champions have conceded an average of 29 goals. And last year, Arsenal conceded 43, which was also 10 more than Man City conceded. So if, if you're Mikel Arteta and, and Edu and the coaching staff over the summer, and you sit down and look at where Arsenal fell short, it's not in the goal scored column. It's in the goals against. So it's not really a surprise when you think of it that way that they then went out and spent £100 million on a player who's primarily a defensive midfielder, £35 million on a on Timber, who is obviously a defender, a multifunctional defender, and then committed £30 million effectively for a new goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of their budget went on defensive players and strengthening their defence because that was the area they fell short in last year. So with that in mind, it's no surprise that the sort of balance has skewed a bit towards them defending better. And that has to come at a cost to a degree. <clears throat> the issue is if they can find that balance. And so far, they kind of have. Like, I think a lot of this conversation is sort of, uh, especially online in the last few weeks around Arsenal's attack has been almost, uh, people are saying, how are they ever going to win the league if they can't score five goals a game? Well, actually, <laughs> that's not what they need to do. Scoring three against Burnley is more than enough, for example, or one against Man City is more than enough if they keep a clean sheet at the other end. Mm-hmm. So that balance has been skewed a bit. Uh, the end result, obviously, is that it makes them slightly less exciting to watch. They're less thrilling. They're less fun. But their defence is solid. They look more stable to me as a team. And after 12 games, they are absolutely in the conversation. 
Yeah, I mean, you look at the league table there, and it's not like they're not scoring goals. They've scored 26 goals. You know, there's only yeah. six less for Manchester City. It's only one left in Liverpool. And, you know, Liverpool's attack's been firing on all cylinders this season. They're scoring from all over the place. You know, everyone's chipping in there. And yet they've only scored one more goal than Arsenal this season. So I don't, it's not, yeah, it's not like Arsenal are struggling to score, isn't it? I mean, look at, look at Manchester United. 13 goals Manchester United have scored this season. That's remarkable. I can't, honestly, I don't know how they're sixth in the table. It blows my mind. They've lost five games and scored 13 goals in 12 games and they're, and they're, they're sixth in the table. So, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. By, it's, it's not a crisis by any means in terms of Arsenal's attack. They're still doing well and they're doing it all without some really, really key players. So I think there's, when you kind of look at where Arsenal are at this stage of the season, I think there's a lot to be really, really positive about because, and I said this, I was talking to James Benj on our, our, our show we do and I said last year, the start that Arsenal made, the momentum that they got, the way they were winning games, there was only one way that was really going to go because it's like, could you really maintain that over the course of a season? It was so, such a fast start, you know, playing in such a you know, thrilling way. It's very hard to maintain that. But this season, it feels like it's all kind of, I don't know if this is wishful thinking on my part, but it kind of feels like it's, this is the kind of building blocks that you, this is where you want to be at this stage of the season for, you know, have plenty of room to improvement. Just get, the points on the board keep winning and then improve as the season goes on it's what we see Manchester City do it's what we've always seen Manchester City do you know get stay in the mix get to the second half of the season then really put the foot down and you know Arsenal are in a position I'm not saying they're definitely going to do that but they're in a position and they've get they're getting themselves in a position where they they could well do that I think so there's I think there's a lot to like about where Arsenal are right now yeah and also that last year's tally of 88 goals like that was the most Arsenal have ever scored in a Premier League season. Mm. More than the Invincibles. More than more than ever. More than any team with Thierry Henry in it. So, like, that that bar is incredibly high. If you want to measure them on that, then it's just ridiculous. Like, that was a one-off, I think, to, to an extent. And if they can get close to that, and they've done really well. So, people shouldn't necessarily judge a failure to hit, hit those attacking levels as sort of a major issue, I don't think. Especially if the defence is is solid at the other end. Mm-hmm. You talk about the defence in the piece and the, the improvements. Obviously, there's definitely been improvements. Although saying that, I think at this stage last season, Arsenal had actually only conceded 11, hadn't they? So they only conceded one more, I think, than they have this season. But there's no doubt, I think, when you look at Arsenal's defence and how they play when they're out of possession, how quickly they win the ball back. You know, they're, they, they just look a much more solid, rounded team. And that's all without Timber as well, who we don't know what sort of impact he would have made, although it was looked pretty obvious given by what we saw from him in the summer what sort of impact he was going to make and I think there's been two players who've been absolutely obviously crucial to that and in in this towards the end of the show we will go through a quick sort of rundown on our player of the season so far that sort of thing but um there's two players I mean William Saliba has just been absolutely majestic really at, at times this season it's just yeah it's just such a wonderful player and even you see the man in the background in that picture there who are, you know Declan Rice you know Arsenal spent a huge amount of money for him 105 million and it's it feels it feels wrong to label someone who cost 105 million as a bargain but you know he's <laughs> literally worth he's been worth every single penny I mean I knew he was good and you'd seen more of Declan Rice than than I had and I remember talking to you about this I think we spoke about it on the show um in terms of what he could potentially bring to Arsenal before you know this was before the deal was done and and you were saying he could play as a six he can play in his eight he's got you know he's got everything he's got the ability to to be a, to a just a wonderful player and I've been surprised at just how good Declan Rice is I knew he was good I knew he was great in fact but I didn't know he was this good and um the the impact he's made has been so good so 
fast. You know, sometimes it takes players a little bit of time to adjust to new surroundings, to deal with the pressure of a huge price tag. But the way he seems to have just settled in and brushed aside any feeling of pressure or anything, it's been really, really impressive. Yeah, and I think the best indication of his impact is if, if you were to list his best five games, they would probably, probably be the biggest five games. Like he was great against Man United, great against Man City, severe away when the Arsenal came under serious pressure in the yeah. second half. He was the man relieving that and just carrying the ball, breaking down attacks. Like he's clearly really suited to those games against top class opponents. And obviously, even, New, even Newcastle away, the game that, that, that they lost, obviously, he was fantastic in that match. Yeah, obviously, in the recent years, Arsenal have struggled in those games against big six teams. Um, and that's why he's come in. And I think so far, really put his stamp on them. Even Chelsea was his goal, which I think was actually a kind of underrated goal. That was a really difficult finish from that distance and that angle. His goal was what changed the game. And that second half, he just grabbed grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck. So he's certainly a big game player, making a huge impact. But the one thing I'd say about Rice on, on a negative side, not, not to bring it down at all, but when, when you watch him play as a, as a left eight against Burnley at home or... Let's say Sheffield United, I think he played it as a six against Sheffield United, but Burnley at home, for example. I don't think he's quite suited to the intricacies of that of that role. Like he's not an Odegaard style player. So I kind of want him starting further back and, and surging forward rather than picking up the ball in between the lines. Because that's not really his game so much. And I think that's partly due to the injury issues for Arsenal currently that they have to play with Jorginho and Rice at the moment, irrespective yeah. of who they're playing against. But that that strikes me as you want Rice in that role against a bigger team when he might have more space to attack and more people to press at home against relegation fodder, no offence to Burnley. He's looking a little bit more uncomfortable, I think. So he's not the creative number 10 type, but everything else he's got and, and the personality he's showing is, is just like, that's a hundred million pounds right there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. He's definitely not. He, he's long-term, you know, I don't see him playing in that left eight role and I don't really want to see him playing in that le- left eight role. There's, there's games. And like you said, when you're preparing to go to Anfield or preparing to go for the Etihad, if everyone's fit, you know, you have Thomas Party as that six and you have Declan Rice just a little bit ahead, I think, but for home to Sheffield United, home to Burnley, you'd rather just have him, just have one of them and then have two more attacking players. I think a, a big reason we may be seeing him play in that role more is because, you know, I think there's been a bit of a down, side to the season so far is that the man who came in who we spent big money on to replace such an influential crucial player in Granite Xhaka it just hasn't worked yet and you know I, I don't want to I, I don't want to just sort of hammer Kai Havertz by any means but it, I'm not seeing any signs of it working yet you know I thought he was I was really disappointed against Burnley because I thought he played well against Newcastle up at St James's Park and I thought he played well against Sevilla on the in the Champions League on the in the midweek and I was really thinking you know that's a, he's got a good couple of games under his belt there confidence should be high Burnley at home you know I was really expecting a a, a pretty standout performance from Kai Havertz and it just it just didn't happen at all and you know M- Mikel hooked him early which I thought was interesting in that game even as soon as they equalised he was preparing to make that change and he continued to he still made it even after the goal uh, Arsenal gone 2-1 in front again and it is I think it's the one sort of issue that's really clouding Arsenal's start to the season I would say is is Havertz and the inability so far to really fill that huge granite jacket shaped void that was left at the end of last season yeah and I think it's 
it's fair to start asking now when this is going to work mm. because at the start of the season, Arteta rightly made the point that a lot of players who have joined Arsenal under him have taken a bit of time to find their feet. But we're now in mid-November, 12 Premier League games in, and you're starting to think, well, it's been there a little while now. He's had time to adapt. And, and I agree with you that it's not quite coming off still. Uh, I also agree that there are positive signs in some games. I think even Newcastle away from the bits I saw, there, he was there, good. Were, moments, there yeah. were moments we looked quite good and was driving forward quite well. Obviously, perhaps lucky to avoid a red card. But at the same time, I, with as a sort of football fan, not an Arsenal fan, but as a football fan, <laughs> maybe as a British football fan, I quite like seeing him fly into tackles and yeah. being a bit more aggressive and sort of showing that fire a bit because that, that's been perhaps the most striking thing of, of his Arsenal career so far, that it all feels a bit damp and like he looks a bit sorry for himself and he's, he's not throwing himself around or just, you know, hitting the ball hard. Even the passes to the left wing are sort of rolled to them rather than fizzed into their feet. And I kind of want a bit more oomph and intensity from him. And I felt like that was really coming. And I agree that I thought the Burnley game would be a good chance for him to really stamp his authority, especially in the absence of Odegaard and him being the kind of creative fulcrum of the team. But it just, it just didn't happen. Um, mm. What I would say about his substitution, though, is the timing of it. I think it was pretty much exactly on on the hour mark. Felt a little bit pre-planned because yeah, he had played a lot of games in recent weeks um, without Odegaard being there and clocked up a lot of minutes. So I wonder if they were just trying to manage his body a bit rather than hooking him for not doing much. Um, in the first half, he had that header as well, didn't he, from the corner? And like on first viewing, I thought, oh, that's unlucky. But then when you watch the replay, you think, You've actually got to score that. He's six yeah. yards out and he's completely free and he's put it way over. He's put it well, in the playing against Sevilla, wasn't it? He had the header inside two minutes from the corner that you just got totally wrong at the back post as well. And that one just felt like a player who's just there was just no confidence, conviction in that in that header. You know, it's like the sort of goal even at Chelsea, you'd expect him to score that. You saw him score goals like that all the time at Chelsea, and mm. it's just not it's just not happening. He saw at this stage last season, I'm not sure, I was just having a look there. I think Xhaka had scored four goals by this stage last season. Um, and I'm not sure there would definitely be, I haven't got the stats here to see how many assists he got during that time as well, but there would have definitely been a few. Hmm. And when you sort of look at where Arsenal are lacking a little bit and falling off a bit from last season, you know, those goals and assists, those key contributions that Xhaka was making and that Havertz isn't at the moment, it's probably really central to that because in the position he plays, you've got to be contributing going forward. You really do. And he just hasn't done that yet. And yeah, it's a, it is a, it is a concern. I think if everyone's fit at the moment, he's not in the team. And I think that'll be a real disappointment to Mikel Arteta, given the amount of money and the investment that he spent on him. Um, yeah, it is a worry. I'm not, I'm just not sure. I don't want to write it off yet. There's still plenty of times for him to, to improve and to become the player that we all hoped he was going to be when he signed. But um, the longer it goes on, the more concerning it is that you start looking at that transfer fee and looking because you can't continue to carry a player in that position, can you? It can't. You know, there comes a point where you can't just keep persisting with it, hoping that it's going to work. It you've got to have someone contributing in that area and contributing a lot. So there's, there is going to it's like Willian, wasn't it? Mikel persisted with Willian for a fair bit in that first season, and then eventually started to lose patience. We saw him moving out, the, moving out of the team, moving out starting eleven. And I do wonder what the point is that that potentially starts having happening to Kai. Hmm. I think you, you used the word conviction there. And that's one that I keep thinking of. I kind of find myself wanting to 
grab him by the shirt and sort of shake him and say, you're six foot four, you're a great athlete, you're powerful, you've won the Champions League, you're a really good player, go out and show it. He looks like he doesn't believe in himself and he looks very sort of introverted. And I, I can't really understand why that might be because Arsenal obviously shown how much they believe in him by spending that much money on him and handing him such a such a big contract and basically saying, you're the guy we're going to remodel our attack around. But he just doesn't seem to quite believe it himself. And mm. I think it says a lot about his personality probably. And, and there's not at all into criticism, but everyone, everyone's different. And if you look at Havertz, for example, compared to Gabriel Jesus, one of them is sort of a street fighter who just wants to scrap with everyone and will, will fight through the pain and, you know, whatever to get the win. Whereas Havertz strikes me as a lot different personality. I still, I still think he might come good. I still think he probably will come good to a degree. I mean, I remember being on pre-season in LA when Arsenal played against Barcelona and he scored at the back post from across. And you could see in during pre-season that whenever the ball went wide to Saka, Havertz was just like hitting the back post and looking really dangerous. I think he got two goals in three games in America. And I could see the plan and I thought, yeah, this works because it's adding a whole nother threat when Arsenal are playing against deep defences or, you know, if Havertz can play as sort of hybrid midfielder, hybrid striker in the way that Xhaka never could, that... Mm-hmm. That should mean more bodies in the box, more opportunities, more goals. But since that's happened, it's just not really borne out that way. He's he's not he's not if he is making those runs, he's not doing them with any real conviction, and the service isn't coming to him. I mean, even in the first few games, you saw it more that he was making those runs, and the ball was just kind of evading him or not coming at the right time. And I remember thinking, okay, you can see this; it's, it's going to happen at one point. But that seems to have dried up a bit now. Maybe opposition teams have worked it out, or maybe he stopped making those runs in the same way. Um, it's definitely he's getting, he's getting attracted to the ball, I think. And I've, I've been watching him really closely the last few games, and he's getting more and more attracted to the ball. Instead of making those runs to the back post and finding space, he seems to be being drawn to the ball, and that's effectively taking him out of the game a lot of the time because he's the runs he's making is just basically meaning he's not going to get past the ball. And there was it was even a, I think there was a goal that Arsenal scored recently, where again I looked at I looked at Havertz's run and I just thought, why have you gone over there rather than going to the back post where the ball was always going to go? You've gone sort of front post and taking yourself out of the game. And I feel like he's doing that more and more at the moment. And I don't know, I don't know why that would be. It's, it's it is a bizarre one because he's a really he's a good player. He's got excellent technique. Like you said, he's got all the attributes to be to to be a threat. We've seen him be a threat before in the Premier League. And the the one thing I'm holding on to is I know how difficult it can be to sort of move to a Mikel Arteta side and to understand exactly what he wants. And there's the added thing of he's learning a new position as well. You know, it's a new role that he's not he's not used to. And I remember sitting down with an interview with Tommy Asu last season and asking him, you know, how have Arsenal made this big jump in improvement in the space of from where you were last year to where you are this year? And he's just said, look, we just understand Mikel more. We knew what he was asking from us last season, but we just couldn't do it. But now a year further coaching down the line and years working with him down the line, we actually can do it now. We can put his plans into action. And I, I keep sort of, that's in the back of my mind when I think I have at the moment, maybe it will click in a year's time. But the unfortunate thing is when you spend £65 million on a player who's coming from a Premier League club already, you don't want to wait a year for that. Well, you can't wait a year for that because you can't carry a player for a whole season if you're trying to win the Premier League and you're trying to win the Champions League. So at some point, he's either going to have to start making proper big contributions in games or he's just going to have to move out the team. And I don't think it's the worst thing if he just becomes a squad player. You know, I don't, you know, as long as he can still contribute off the bench. And I think he has contributed at times when he's come off the bench. I just wonder 
yeah, I, I think his days, if everyone's fit, I think already his days looking pretty numbered as a as a regular star in this Arsenal team. Mm. I do um, I do think we might see more of him as a as number nine. I know that's not his position he was signed to play in. Mm. And I know they've they've preferred to play Inketia and, and Trossard there, but especially off the bench, there will be times when they want that different option. And he is the only player in the squad who can play that number nine role in that way and sort of attract attract the ball and hold it up and, and provide more of an aerial threat. He did it really well against Man City in the Community Shield. Even in the City game in the league, when he came off the bench, he did it really well. Up well he got the assist He got the assist there, didn't he, for Martinelli, for the winner? Yeah. So I think, I think even if the plan of him playing left eight continues to not work, him being a, an impact sub up front could still be very effective and he could still be very useful that way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised we haven't seen more of him there. There's been so many times when I've done my predicted 11 before games and I've gone with Havertz as a nine and it's just, Mikel hasn't done it. He's continued to, maybe because you just want to keep playing him in that eight role to try and, and hope that it clicks. But I agree. I think the best things he's done for Arsenal so far this season have come when he's been in that in that nine role, whether that be starting, like you said, in the Community Shield or the Manchester City game when he came off the bench and set up Gabby Martinelli for the winner. Um, I just wanted to go through some, before we wrap wrap this up, go through our sort of, player of the season so far, goal of the season, match of the season, that sort of thing. And um I'll be surprised if we both don't go come with the same come up with the same player of the season so far. I imagine we probably will, but I will hand it over to you first to name your Arsenal player of the season at this stage. Well, not not to scoop you, but the obvious answer is Saka with with 14 goals and assists in 17 games, which obviously is a fantastic return, but for me I'm going with Saliba. He's the man, in my view, that Arsenal can't do without. And we saw that last season when Arsenal were on course to win the league before he got injured and then really struggled without him. And also, I wrote a piece about this about a month ago, two months ago. Um, he's got, the, at the time, I think I think it's still the case, he had the most Premier League points won per game of any mm-hmm. player in Arsenal's history, which is obviously some stat. And at the time in that piece, I wrote that, Arsenal, we know for a fact that Arsenal can't do without him. And we don't know if that's true of Saka and true of Odegaard. Um, I think the last few weeks have shown that Arsenal kind of can do without Odegaard. Obviously, Odegaard makes them a lot better and is hugely important, but I don't think he's as fundamental to them as Saliba is. And I think that's probably true of Saka too, although it's harder to say he's only missed sort of one game, hasn't he? But for me, Arsenal with Saliba are title challengers. And Arsenal without Saliba are fighting for fourth or fifth place. Yeah, I agree. I think there's two players. I think Saliba and Rice fall into that category. I think if Rice gets injured for any significant amount of time, especially at the moment with Thomas Party out, I think Arsenal's title challenge very quickly comes to a bit of a halt. And I agree. I think Saliba as well. He's just been exceptional. I mean, we... We knew, we, we knew how good he was last season. That was obvious. And as soon as he got injured against Sporting, we saw the, the big drop-off that Arsenal had. And... Um, the, 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 I'm just really surprised that he's not a regular starter for France at the moment. I'm, I'm just, I, I generally don't think I would have another centre back in world football over William Saliba at Arsenal. I think he's that good, and he's been so good this season. And he's so young; he's got so much room to give. And I think he's just a fabulous player. And the, the partnership him and Gabriel, it just with, with Declan Rice in front of him as well. That sort of three 
when they're there, I just think it makes Arsenal such a difficult team to beat. And we're seeing that this season. And um, yeah, I agree. I was, it was it was a big toss up between Declan Rice and and William Saliba for me, but I just gave mine to Saliba. I think he just gets he just gets not gets a nod. What about what about match of the season or performance of the season? I don't know. Is that two? Is that two different things? I've got two different answers. Yeah, I would say uh, there's two. That is probably is two different things for me. So let's go for performance of the season, shall we? First of all, uh, performance, and I don't think it was the most flowing or thrilling performance, but I think beating Man City at home is a huge, huge moment for Arsenal in their season and in their development as a team under Arteta. We all know how bad Arsenal's record was against Man City and how bad Arteta's record was against Pep Guardiola. So for that that win and the way they defended that day and to get the goal when they did, I think obviously the Emirates exploded and it felt like a real moment to me. And if you look back through all the results this season, that's the one that really jumps out as, wow, yeah, okay. And if Arsenal do go on and win the league this season, I think that'll be the one that a lot of people point at. The only other one that's similar was the Man United game, given the late goals and and and, and uh, the way the Jesus added the third and the atmosphere at the Emirates that day was amazing. But I think Man United, Man United aren't very good, basically, and didn't play very well that day. Um, whereas City are the treble winners and Arsenal's record against them was so bad. So to win that game and to win it in the way they did I think will go down as their their best performance of the season. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about it. That's my performance this season. And again, people came away from that. People, I think, who are watching that at home on Sky, like that wasn't that good a game. That was much fun to watch. But in the stadium when you were there, it was such an enthralling event. I thought, and um, I just think the way Arsenal played and the way they sh- completely shut Manchester City down in that game was so so impressive. Obviously, they weren't, Arsenal weren't great going forward. They didn't create too much, but it was two real top teams. I think, in a way that Arsenal shut them down. I mean, you look at City this season, even at the weekend, that game against Chelsea was such a brilliant game. And they didn't play that well, Man City, that that day. I didn't think Chelsea were excellent. Um, but they still scored four goals. You know, they still sliced Chelsea apart at the time and scored that amount of goals. That never looked like happening against Arsenal. Arsenal was so controlled and they shut them down so well. I don't think Haaland had a shot, did he, in the entire game? And I think it was a real top professional performance from Arsenal and like you said, sort of result-wise, it was so, so important. And I think match of the season, I'll give to Man, to the Man United one in terms of just the ending was so, it was, you know, was the, the noise, the atmosphere, everything about it, the ending was fantastic. But in terms of performance of the season, I would give, I'd definitely give, um, uh, give to, to the City one. What about, what about goal of the season then? What do you think Arsenal's standout well, goal? Can I just say that for me, as a neutral, as a non-Arsenal fan, I think match of the season was the, the North London derby, just because it was the it was the first time the two two draw. I think it was just the first time this season that an opponent had come to the Emirates and really tried to play, mm-hmm. and it made a really interesting, engaging game. And I remember watching that and just being like gripped by it completely. It wasn't a tap defence as so many of Arsenal's games are these days. It was it was two teams really going for each other, and it was good fun. Like Udogi versus Saka was a really good battle, and there's people pressing each other all over the pitch and Van der Ven was doing well, but then Jesus was doing well. And it was, yeah, that was a great game. Great game for the neutral. Uh, to answer your question about goal, the goal I've gone for, I don't know if you'll agree with this one or not. I, I've gone for Martinelli against Sevilla away <laughs> when Gabriel clears it up into the sky, comes down with rain on it, snow on it. Jesus plucks it out. Cruyff turns between two defenders and plays that through ball through to Martinelli. And I just think that, that exhibition of skill from Jesus and that touch and that turn and that vision 
I thought was just the most outstanding assist and and such a great indication of what he brings to this Arsenal team. And also the finish, like the speed and the composure, it was it was pure Martinelli. So that felt like a goal that really summed up, I think, three Arsenal Arsenal players at once, all three Gabbies. And I think the more I watch it, the more I think that's going to be pretty hard to beat. That was a brilliant goal, yeah. I didn't, I haven't given it to that one, but it was a brilliant goal. I was watching that actually. I was at my dad's house, and it was, it it took so long from Gavin from Martinelli getting the ball to scoring. I think we both started, got on our feet, and by the time he'd actually put the ball in the net, we probably moved about five five yards forward and was standing right in front of the TV. It just took so long, and it was just the anticipation of waiting to see if he was going to score or not. It was, it was a brilliant goal, and the assist was just fabulous from Jesus. I mean, Jesus's goal himself in the second half out there deserves a mention it was it was a special goal I thought Zinchenko's goal at the weekend was you know there's not many players who've got the technique to be able to pull off something like that and score a goal like that but I give mine to Eddie Nketiah against Sheffield United I thought it was yeah I think because it was such a just a noise in the stadium when that went in it was a different type of roar it was a what the bloody (laughs) that's Eddie Nketiah he can't do that it was it was it was just a really funny noise when they showed the replay as well you could just hear everyone saying to each other I didn't know. I didn't know he had that in him. It was just such a bolt from the blue from a player we're so used to scoring from in and around the six-yard box, and then for him to suddenly ping one from twenty-five yards into the top corner to score his hat trick. I thought it was a really, it was a really special goal. And um, but yeah, there's been there was definitely others right up there. But uh, yeah, that's the one. That's the one I'm giving it to. Oh, sorry, I agree. That it, it was. A, I agree. It was very much not the kind of goal that. We've come to expect from Nketiah, but what I would say is that he's he's he clearly, and I know this is to be true because he's told me this before, but he works so hard on the areas of the game that he's not always had naturally. And I think I think the thing that really strikes me this season, if you look at him, the way he's filling out his kit now, his physical transformation, mm. a totally different sort of physique to what he had even just two years ago. Like he's so strong and so stocky now, and that. That's hard work. And also, you know, some players develop later than others when it comes to that sort of thing. But I think he is adding quite a lot of strings to his bow now. And I know that some Arsenal fans aren't always big on Nketiah. And, you know, a lot of them have grown up with some really world-class strikers in, in, in that team. And he's never going to be a Gabriel Jesus or a Thierry Henry. But I think he's a really valuable squad player. He's got a great work ethic. And he clearly works so hard on his game. And that's the one thing, if you asked Arteta in a press conference, you know, what's Eddie and Kessie like? The first thing I'll say is he's such a great trainer. Like he works mm-hmm. so hard. And I just think he gets a little bit of unfair flack. And I was really pleased for him that day against Sheffield United because it kind of showed how far he's come. And like the way that he sort of swaggered around the pitch at the end, holding the ball, match ball. I just thought, yeah, you've you've earned that as much as anyone has earned any hat trick in, in an Arsenal shirt, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought it was a special day for him, and um, and I think he gets definitely gets a lot of unfair flat. I get hammered by it <laughs> a lot in the comments section for standing up for Eddie and Ketia quite a bit. But you know, like he's ne- he's never going to be Arsenal first choice striker. He's never going to be like you said a Gabriel Jesus, a Thierry Henry, or someone like that. But I think he's a very important player in this squad still. And you know, people suggest oh, swap do a swap in January for Ivan Tony. It's like I do think Arsenal need another striker, but. I wouldn't be getting ready of Eddie as well because I still think you'd be a striker short then. I think you get another striker and keep Eddie Nketiah for me. Um, but just to round this off then, sort of talking about Ivan Tony, um, what do you think Mikel Arteta is thinking at this stage of the season, especially with January now six weeks away, in terms of where Arsenal are, how the season's going and what potentially he might need to to 
sort of improve the team or kick the team on over the second half of the season? Because January is going to be important. We don't know exactly how much money Arsenal are going to have to spend, who they might, you know, will they have to sell to to help bring anyone in. But where do you think Mikel Arteta is at right now as we, we head towards the festive period in January? Well, firstly, on the money, the money aspects, I think the nature of the David Ryan deal and the mm. fact that Arsenal have had to effectively pay that next year rather than this year is an indication of the financial firepower they have or do not have, as the case may be. Um, and when you look at Ivan Tony and the price that Brentford would demand, I find it hard to believe that that's doable for January. In answer to your question, I think there's two ways of looking at it. There's a short term and a long term. I think in the short term, a big target man striker who can add a new dimension to the offence would be the most beneficial. But in the long term, if you look at the squad planning and you look at the squad chart that Edu has in his office, looking at each player per position, the area of, of biggest concern is in midfield. Yeah. Because as it stands, Thomas Partey's out of contract next summer. Jorginho's out of contract this coming summer, as is Mohamed Elneny. So that's three players, all of whom are pretty close to the exit door for Arsenal. Um, obviously, Declan Rice is there, but he can't do it all on his own. And as we've seen this season, he might be needed in number eight position as well. So I think there's a lot of logic behind pursuing another midfielder and strengthening in that area of the pitch as a priority uh, to sort of create that long-term balance. But whether January is the time to do that, I don't know. And especially given the finances probably being quite tight, it's hard to see how that works. Um, uh, Jorginho has got another year option. and uh, Given the way he's playing at the moment, I think he started seven of the last eight games. And I think he's playing pretty well in most of those. I really wouldn't be surprised at all if, if his contract gets extended. And he made it very clear in, in Seville before the game that he's happy where he is and enjoying himself. So you would, you would assume based on that, that he would be open to staying. But I still think there's a lot of questions over Partey's future. If, if they can get some money for him in January, if someone wants to take him off their hands for a big fee, I think it would be hard to say no. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you agree, especially given his injury record and the fact they have Rice now. I mean, he's such a good player, Partey, and he's been so important to what they've done, especially last season. But he's just not been reliable enough physically. And if they can get a transfer fee for him that could allow them to strengthen with a younger option maybe or bring someone else in I think it would be it would be hard to turn down I think it'd be very hard to turn down I can't see it happen in January though I can't see someone coming in for him especially with the Africa Cup of Nations even if he's fit you know he suddenly disappears for a, a few weeks pretty much as soon as he signs for someone but I think in the summer that's it's it's definitely something well we know that last summer it was something that Arsenal potentially would have been open to had a big offer arrived it didn't and, you know, whether that changes this this summer, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I think midfield's the most important area for Arsenal to strengthen. I really do. I think it, a striker needs to happen in the next couple of windows. But I would say in the summer is probably the time for that. I think, right, if you're sitting in Edu's office right now, I think, and you're wondering what, where you need to strengthen over the second half of the season, I think it'd be... It'd be midfield, midfield for me, and it also <laughs> seems mad to say it, given they just spent sixty-five million player, pound on a player in the summer. But it would be that area that I'd be looking to strengthen right now for this to give Arsenal the best chance of going on and winning this title in the second half of the season. I, I really would. But like you said, money's going to be tight. We know that it was obvious from the Raya deal. It'd be interesting if someone comes in and slaps a big 
what a cash on the table for Aaron Ramsdale, shall we say, in, in January, whether that would be something Arsenal would consider, especially if it meant that they could get use that money to get someone over the line in January. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. But we've still got what we've got, six weeks away from January transfer window, so we don't want to talk about that too much. Yeah, right just now. before, I, I, I agree, but one more thing. <laughs> just before, uh, well, yeah, I think the argument for a left eight uh, is going to be a hard one for the club to make to the owners. Yeah. Say, yeah, remember that 65 million we spent on that bloke Havertz? Yeah, it's not really worked out. Can we have some more for the same position? <laughs> and we'll just use him as a squad player, even though he's on 250 grand or plus a week, uh, purportedly. I think that's going to be a hard one to do. And I, I can't see Arsenal sort of effectively writing off the Havertz experiment as early as January. No. I wonder if Smith Rowe hadn't got injured if he'd be playing now in that position. Mm. He'd just worked his way up the pecking order, hadn't he? Such a shame that he got injured when he did, because he just out of no, almost out of nowhere, you know, he was so far down the pecking order. Vieira was starting ahead of him, Havertz was starting ahead of him. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if, if he just something clicked in training or what, but suddenly he was he started a Premier League game and then he was coming off the bench before Vieira or before Havertz, and it just seemed to got get him got himself back into the thinking of Arteta, and then he went and picked up that injury again, which is a real real shame. I do wonder if if he'd be starting now if every if he'd have stayed injury free. Yeah, I agree. And Vieira as well, like he said, at the start of the season, he had those few games when suddenly it looked like he'd finally arrived. Mm. And, it was, and it was Havertz under pressure from, from Vieira. Indeed, Havertz lost his place to Vieira for a couple of games, but then he's just faded off again. And I, You want him to really kick on, but he, every time he does something nice or something well, he then seems to take a backward step afterwards. And it's quite frustrating to watch. And I, I think a lot of Arsenal fans are, are very much yet to be convinced on, on Vieira. No, that's a hundred million pounds worth of player there in Vieira and Havertz in those sort of attacking eight roles that we're talking about, and you've got a hundred million pounds worth of recent additions there, and neither of them have been able to sort of grab that position and and kick on. So, yeah, I, I agree. I thought Vieira started the season so so well. He looked a different player. He had hunger about him when he came on. He was looking like he where well, he was impacting games and changing games. You think back to the Fulham match. He just looked totally different and he had that drive about him that he hadn't really seen, but he has definitely faded. He's not been able to maintain that, which is a shame. He's obviously not going to be available for the next three matches either. Mm. Um, so, yeah, he's not going to be putting his hand up to replace Havertz anytime soon. All right, look, Dino, thank you very much for your time, mate. This has gone on over 45 minutes now, so I really do appreciate your time on a busy day. I know you've got plenty to write for the Telegraph. Like I said, everyone, if you want to read Sam's piece, analysing Arsenal's season so far, which is absolutely well worth a read, the link is down in the description below, or you can find it on his or my social media. Sam's Twitter stroke X, whatever you want to call it, handle is what is it? Dino, it's Sam J at Sam J Dean, isn't it? That's the one. At Sam J Dean. And yeah, if you don't follow Sam, then you absolutely should because he's a fantastic reporter and there's not many who tells the story of Arsenal season better than him. Dino, thank you very much for your time. Have a good thank day, you, mate, mate, and I'll speak to you soon. Cheers, mate. Speak to you soon. 